starting at verse 8, I'm going to pray. Father, we, Lord, thank you for this house. Father, I pray, Lord, that the word that you have given me, I do need your help to clearly share it, God. Father, I pray, God, that it wouldn't just be a time of expressing information, but, Father, it would be an opportunity for all of us, including myself, by faith, to respond to what you're sharing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak. Lord, I pray that in the time and in the hour that we live in God, Lord, that you would prepare us. You would prepare us for what you have for us, ahead of us today, tomorrow, and in the future. God, it's an exciting time to live for you. Father, I pray, Lord, for those that are weary here today, God, that you will strengthen them. God, I pray, Lord, for those who are confused that you would make things clear. Those who are not ready that you will prepare us. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We love you, God. I love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. I'm going to read 8 through 15, and then a couple verses in chapter 7. Before I do, Pastor Daniel began last week sharing in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, a man named Stephen was mentioned, and we're going to continue to look at the life of Stephen and what God has done in and through his life, and also what he wants to do in and through our lives as well. In verse 8 it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Starting in chapter 7, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. We're going to stop there for a moment. As I was reading, and we'll talk a little bit more about what Stephen shared in the beginning of Acts chapter 7 a little bit later. But as I was reading this and praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to share? Three words, at least in the NLT, popped off the page and burned inside of my heart. And this is what I want to share with you because it comes from verse 9. But one day. That's the title of the message. But one day. Now, Stephen, if you have your hand out there, Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We're going to go over these today. He was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace and power. Now, there were three requirements that Pastor Daniel shared last week. There were three requirements that were needed for people to serve God. It didn't matter the, the title of the ministry. It didn't matter what their title was individually. If you remember the three requirements that were needed, it was they needed to be well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. Now, this is incredible because God was actually preparing them for something bigger than the ministry they were serving in. God was preparing Stephen for battle 
with these requirements. If you look again at Acts 6.10, what does the Bible say? Remember, it was required that the men that would serve in the, the food drive, the feeding program, they needed to be well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And in Acts 6.10, the Bible says, none of them can stand against the wisdom and the Spirit with which Stephen spoke. Well, Pastor Sal, does it also say that they respected him? Well, it does say that they had to lie about him in order to try to trap him. And if they had to lie about him, this tells us something about his character. It tells us something that he was a well-respected person. So when God was giving out these requirements in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, I don't think he was just thinking about the food drive, which he was, and we'll talk about that, but I also believe he was preparing people for the day of battle that was ahead. We also know that he was a man full of faith. It says it in Acts chapter 6, verse, uh, excuse me, if we go back, we don't have to read back there, but it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So number one, well-respected. What does it mean to be well-respected? What does it mean for a Christian to be well-respected? It is becoming a person of integrity. It's a person of honesty. It's a person of, that walks with the Lord with sincerity in their heart. It's a person that when they go to the store and you order something and they give you extra and they don't charge you, you don't leave praising God. You go back and say, you overcharged me, or you undercharged me. I'd like to pay the right amount. It's amazing because that was on my heart, and yesterday my daughter and I were at a store, and we went to buy my wife flowers, and she asked me if I was a member of a certain whatever, and I said, I, I, I don't have that phone number, I don't, and, I'm, I'm, and so I, I didn't want the discount. And so I'm looking as the register's going, and it, and it says the discount. So I said, excuse me, did you put the discount on? And she leans towards me, and she winks. And I said, well, I don't, I don't want it. She said, I can't ring it back up. I, I, I can't do this. And I should have said, can you just void everything and just ring it back up? And so I took it, and then my daughter and I walked over to customer service and returned it. God... And i got to tell you something because I don't want you to think I, I always hit the mark because when I was at the University of Maryland and they just opened up a Chipotle, <laughs> I mean, you know, in the beginning, you can ask them for extra something. And at the end, when they didn't charge me, I would leave praising God until God one day told me I was stealing. A person of integrity. A person that's going to do the right thing when nobody's watching. A person that's going to go out of their way and maybe they look a little foolish to the world anyway. But we are not here to please the world. We're not here to apologize for truth. See, to be well respected is not getting the approval of the world. Stephen wasn't trying to get the approval of the world. He wasn't living for the widow's approval. He wasn't living for man's approval. He was living for God's approval. And we are not here trying to get the world to like us, to get our boss to like us, to get our co-workers to like us. We are here to be a testimony. I'll tell you that at the end of the day, though, when they put their head on their pillow at night, even though they may poke at us or they may say things they shouldn't or maybe they even accuse us, maybe we even get lied about at our jobs, they wish they had what we have. John 15, verses 18 to 21, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, remember that it hated me first. 
The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. Praise God. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. You should put that on a t-shirt. But beloved, this is real. And these are the verses that Jesus spoke. These are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He said, listen, the world is going to hate you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. So first, in this portion of scripture here, we need to be prepared. We need the Holy Spirit to prepare us that if we're going to be well-respected, and we walk as people of integrity, we need to understand that Jesus, just like he, you know, the promises of the Bible, this is another promise of the Bible that says the world will hate you. And it will hate me. Because the spirit of this world hates Jesus. John 16, 1-4, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. God wants to prepare us for that day, but one day he wants to prepare us, and he wants to prepare us and let us know so we do not abandon our faith, so we don't walk into this world and this society and say, why do I feel so ostracized? Why do I feel so distant from everybody else? But Jesus already gives us the warning and says, you are different. You speak differently. You think differently. Your value system is supposed to be different, and because of that, you will not be liked. In fact, you'll be hated. For you will be expelled, we see this happening in countries. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and we see this happening here in the U.S. if you pay careful attention. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. If 9-11 didn't wake up our, our country, I don't know what else will. A holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. Jesus gives us a warning. I didn't tell you early because I was going to be with you for a while longer, but thank God he said it's good for him to go that he would send the Holy Spirit. So requirement number one for Stephen, for serving, for being prepared for that day was to be well-respected. Requirement number two was to be full of the Spirit. The Bible gives us a command to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be controlled. To be animated. To give complete authority and lordship over to the Holy Spirit. Pastor, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? As simple as I can put it, the Bible just says ask. You ask. I shared with the young people recently... At the end of one of our one-night services, I, I gave a challenge, and I said, some of you, please go home. Don't turn on your phone. Don't turn on your social media. Don't turn on anything. You need to go into your room, and you need to lay on the floor, and don't get up until you know God loves you. And for some of us in this room, it's the same thing. We, we have I know that there are many, especially in this service, especially seeing the moms on the stage, there are many in this place that remember, but we can't forget. It's like a distant memory, the days of tarrying before the Lord, the days of wrestling with God until he touches us, the days that we get on the floor and we don't get up until we know the Holy Spirit filled us afresh and anew. Until we get up knowing that we've gotten a breakthrough. Until we, we get up knowing that God has entered into our room, into our prayer closet, into the place where we are intimate with him. And he has touched us and our situation. Matthew 25. Full of the Spirit. 
Jesus gives us a parable. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. You, you have ten people here, five that were wise, five that were foolish. The five foolish thought they were okay. They thought they were in good standing. They thought they were prepared for the day of battle. They thought just because maybe if I sign up and volunteer in the feeding program like in Acts chapter 6, that would be enough. But the requirements from God were higher. The standards were higher. And he said you need to be well respected and full of the spirit. See, a person may have a lamp in their hand. They may have some outside form of light and but understand that the Bible tells us that there's a form of godliness, but those that deny the power that can make them godly. And so you see these five foolish bridesmaids with the lamp in their hand. And then you have the five wise that say, I need extra oil. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me. I need the Holy Spirit to control me. I need to get up in the morning every day and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Amen. God, give me your power and give me your love and give me your wisdom and give me your anointing anointing to be a husband and a father, anointing to stand for you at my job and in my workplace, to see people the way you see them, to hear what you hear, to feel what you feel, and to understand that they're paying me to be a missionary at my workplace. God, there's a greater purpose and a plan than me just showing up, making money, coming home, make sure I tithe 10% and make sure the family's fed. There's something deeper. And God has it in front of us, and so we take extra oil now, the other five wanted to get the oil from someone else. It's a picture of self-preservation. They wanted the easy Christian life. Five steps to a better Christian life. See, we can't go where God wants us to go on someone else's oil. They couldn't go. And the bridegroom comes at midnight, and, and, and we know at midnight it's dark outside, physically dark. And they had no oil for the time, no Holy Spirit to guide them and empower them in a dark hour. But one day, I want to remind you of Daniel chapter 3, about those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible tells us that they were placed in a position. They had a one day. At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue. And we are living, if you don't know this already, I think you know it already, we are living in a time, we are living in a season in this country where everything is telling the Christian to bow to the music. It's telling the Christian to get on your face, get on your knees, don't bow to Jesus Christ, bow to the culture. Don't stand for what is true, don't stand for what is right, don't stand for life. Don't stand for what is correct, don't stand for what is in order, don't stand for what God calls right. And so there is a pressure 
into our society that tells us to bow. But in Daniel chapter 3.18, I love this because they were clear. They used the word clear in the NLT. It says, but even if he doesn't, these are the Hebrew boys saying, God will protect us. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. That we would be clear. That we would not bow, bend, or break. We would be clear. That our testimony would be clear. That the world knows which side we're on. That we're four people on the other side, but we live for Jesus. And we stand for him. And then verse 25 in Daniel chapter 3 said, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. You know what I love about this verse is the Bible doesn't say they ran out of the fire. Every one of us, including myself, want to run out of a fire. If our house went up in flames, we would want to run out of the house, rightfully so. But when the fiery trials of life come, we want to run. But in Isaiah 43, 2, it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. It does not say when you run through the fire. It doesn't say when you skip through the fire. It doesn't say when you bust out of the fire. It says when we walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you because God has promised that he will be with us. We need to get the oil. We need to go back to those days of saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me with your oil. Fill me, Holy Spirit, because when I stand at my workplace and I declare who Jesus is, and I'm not saying this because this is something we want you to do. I'm saying this is because this is what God has called us to do. He has called us to proclaim who Jesus is. He has called us to witness. He has called us to evangelize. He has called us to share our faith. And if we're not, we're not growing. But God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Third requirement, Stephen was full of wisdom. So how do we receive wisdom? Pastor Daniel spoke about wisdom last week, and I don't remember his definition. I need more wisdom. And I think he said something about getting the information and using it correctly. Okay. Wisdom. James 1, 5 through 7 tells us how we receive wisdom. It's very simple. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask all of your friends their opinion on who you should marry. No, it says you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It will be. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. So how do we receive wisdom? We ask for it. Amen. We ask. Why do we need it? Because without it, we're going to destroy our lives. We need wisdom. What is wisdom? James chapter 3 tells us what wisdom is. Remember, Stephen was full of wisdom. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, give us a definition of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 
That means that if there's selfish ambition or envy in our heart, we can go to the Lord, ask him to forgive us, take it out, and he will. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we operate out of envy and selfish ambition, if our there's a selfish ambition of trying to get that promotion of work. There's a selfish ambition in pursuing that relationship. We are not operating out of godly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Ah, submissive. Pastor, I have a great idea for a ministry. I, I think... God has called me to counsel. But I won't go to you, Pastor, because I don't need your permission. I'll just start counseling everyone I can in the church. That's not wisdom. Wisdom submits. It's submissive. It is wise to go to your pastor because now you have a covering. Because somebody says you gave them some off information and your pastor didn't know about it now you have no protection it's wise it's full of mercy and good fruit impartial that means fair I remember reading this verse a lot as a school teacher oh, people say do you have a favorite student and I, I, I can't it says I have to be fair <laughs> Supposed to treat them the same, sincere. The Bible also tells us that Jesus is wisdom. As we draw closer to Jesus, he makes us wise. Have you met someone that's young and has more wisdom than someone that's older? Find out their devotional time. Find out the time they spend with Jesus. And Stephen was a man full of faith. And quickly he knew the word. Because in Acts chapter 7, when he responds to those that are accusing him, he begins to give a historical account of how God moved through not just his history, but the people that have accused him history. He was a man full of faith. He knew the word. Actually, Acts chapter 7 is the second longest recorded sermon in the New Testament behind Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to tell about Abraham and Joseph, and he begins to use wisdom because he's speaking to a Jewish audience. And he begins to say, listen, we have a God, but I want to tell you the fulfillment of God. I want to tell you, and he'll eventually get there, and in future weeks we'll eventually get there. But faith comes from hearing the word of God. Full of faith, well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and full of faith. Now, but one day. Why the title? Hebrews 12, 26 through 27 says this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed. So that only unshakable things will remain. The day is coming. It's coming. So do I really need these requirements, Pastor? Do I really need to be 
a person of integrity, well-respected? Do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I need to be a person full of wisdom? I'm only a greeter. I'm only an usher. I work with youth. I work with kids. I'm a band member. Yes, you do. Because ministry goes beyond the practical thing that you're doing in front of you. Stephen needed this not because he was unable, physically unable to pick up a box of food and hand it to a person. He needed it because those widows, when they began to open up their heart about their pain and their situation and what life was coming their way, he was prepared to do something beyond the title. Stephen was put in charge of the food drive. The food drive. I thank God for Michael Doherty, who's in charge of the food drive here. And I'm going to tell you why. You may not know who he is, but he is a man full of faith. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit. He's a man that next Friday night is going to begin leading our monthly young adult street evangelism teams. Because he's a man like Stephen. God is using, and it doesn't matter the title, because he knows when those cars pull up, and anyone else on that team, when those cars pull up, those cars are pulling up on a Friday not just to get food, and he shared with me some of them are there more for the prayer than the food. And thank God he didn't say no, Pastor, during the pandemic, because I am full of the Holy Spirit, well-respected, wisdom, and faith. This is above me. No. He said, God, prepare me. Prepare me. Because these requirements are going to prepare us for the day of battle. See, what if, Pastor, the one day doesn't come? I want to tell you it's already here. It's already here. It is already here. I recently read an article about a school district outside of Illinois. That by the time first or second grade comes around, they've already walked the students through picking their own pronouns. It's already here, parents. That day is here. It is not just coming in the future. We are living in that day. We are living in the day where we're going to need these requirements for battle. Nehemiah 4.14 says this. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight. We have police and firemen in our church, and I, I, I don't know what it's like for them to get up in the morning and go to work and not sure this. I know that they, they're not going to tell their spouse this. They're not going to tell their children this, but I wonder sometimes if there's something in their heart that says they're just not sure. Let me kiss my children a little longer or let me hug my spouse a little tighter because I'm just not sure what's going to happen today at work. But Pastor Daniel said it a couple weeks ago. I also think there's going to come a day where as pastors we're going to leave the house in the morning and we're just not sure if we're going to make it home. But I got to tell you that I thank God for the pastors that are here because they're willing to stand in this pulpit and declare truth regardless of what comes our way. But it's not just us that's called to do that, it's you. There's been times where I've worked as a public school teacher and I've looked my wife in the face and, and she said, okay, and I need to go back into that classroom because kids are dying in front of me and if I share today, I may lose my job, wife. I don't know. But I know that we need to treasure the moment that we have right now. 
and not fall asleep in we can't fall asleep like in Matthew 25. We can't fall asleep. Both fell asleep. Thank God though others were prepared when they woke up. But we can't. We can't fall asleep. We have a little bit of time. We need to get out of the things that are stealing our strength. And sometimes they're not even bad things. Some of us are watching so much streaming that we're like numb people at the end of the night. And they're stealing our strength. Young people fight that are in here. Fight. You need to fight. You need to learn how to fight. If God can take me, and I don't hit the mark, and I'm going to share that in a second all the time, not even close, but I know how to fight. It's not because I'm special. It's because I took up that challenge to get on that floor and sometimes not get up until I know God has touched me. But you need to fight, young people. You need to fight for your future marriages. You need to fight for the things that God has called you to do. You need to fight. You, learn, you need to learn how to open up your mouth and fight. You need to learn how to get a hold of God, get that extra oil in the lamp. So when you go to work or when you go to school and you have a professor staring you in the face and telling you everything opposite and you say, well, I just don't want to cause a scene. I'm just afraid that my grades may go down. No, God will use you. God is sovereign. Either he is or he isn't. Either those Hebrew boys were crazy or they knew who God was and they knew who God was and you got to know who God is that your grades are in the hands of King of Kings and Lord of Lords no matter what you say in that classroom. At the end of the day, God is sovereign and you stand and you fight and you fight for what's right and you fight for integrity and if you're a nurse here and you work in a hospital and they tell you to, to perform some type of procedure that goes against who God is, you say no and you fight. Amen. You fight. You fight because if not, in that midnight hour, you will not have what you need in your lamp. And I won't either because one compromise after another will lead us to a powerless place. We are fighting for our children, parents. Not just what they will face, but what they're currently facing now. And all they're asking is that we're real. All they're asking is that we're authentic, we're sincere. They're not looking for perfect parents. They're not looking for people that have it all together. Or you can quote every single scripture in the Bible. They're looking for sincere, honest, real deal parents that know how to live their faith outside of this building on a Sunday. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for parents that know how to pray. They're looking for parents that when you pass an ambulance, maybe you just pause in the car and believe God and pray for the people that are outside of it. They're looking for us. Mothers, like Hannah, let God birth something inside of you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Hannah had a one day too. See, one day Samuel will leave the house. And one day our children will leave the house. And God is asking us to be faithful to him. He's asking us to be faithful. Hannah was faithful for those few years. And it led to one of the most powerful prophets that we know. She was faithful. What did she do? She stayed home and nursed the baby. Moms, don't ever look down on your position in the home. Don't ever look down on your influence. Don't ever be jealous. If God calls you to the workforce, then you be faithful to him. But don't let the, the, the seductive spirit in this world cause you to be a driven mom that you lose your family. You fight. It's Mother's Day. 
The Bible says that no greater joy than to know your children are walking in the truth. You may be a child here and you came today. Maybe you came because it's Mother's Day. Let me tell you that the cry of our heart is to know that you're walking in the truth. But husbands, maybe the second greatest thing for a mother anyway is to know your spouse is walking in the truth. Is to go home today and, and find a husband that has completely been radically changed by the power and presence of God. That that husband would go home today and husband maybe you haven't had it all together and don't expect everything to turn around in one second, but maybe before you have dinner, you're the one who's praying. You're the one who says to the children and to your wife, I'm going to pray. You fight. Parents, by the grace and power of God, serve the Lord. Make up your mind, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Make up your mind. It's time to win back families. And we will make mistakes, but we cannot let the past hold us back. We cannot let the past hold us back. We cannot let our past failures, we can't let failures of this morning hold us back. We will win our families. And I want to tell you something. Stop. Stop the no pressure, fearful tactics. Some of you parents in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Somewhere in this culture, they have told you that your authority is stripped away from being a parent. No, it's your house. What is watched and what is listened to determined by you. Not your child, no matter how old or how young. You guard and protect that home. And you know what? Even if you, some of you are recipients of this, you are in church today because you had no choice to go to church when you were younger. And somewhere along the line, we have told parents that their authority is being stripped away and it's getting stripped away, but not Christian parents, not us. You have authority in your home. They want to live in your home. They do what you tell them to do. Our family goes to church. If you don't like that, find a home. Our family prays. You're going to join us. God has given you the authority in your home. Dedicate your home to the Lord. Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Fully developed. I love that the Apostle Paul said that. He said, I'm not just happy with getting my kids to bow and say a sinner's prayer. I'm not just happy because they show up at youth group or children's ministry. I'm not just happy because my young adult got a good job. No, Paul said, I will continue as painful as it may be until Christ is fully developed. Until all that God has called you to do and be will happen. And I know the Lord is always with me. The book of Psalms says, I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. Now listen, I haven't always hit the mark. I don't stand here as a perfect parent by any means. My wife and I, we have four little children and one on the way, thank God. And I got to tell you, I have to tell you that I've never apologized so much in my life in the last seven years. There was a man named Samson who had supernatural strength and power from God, but he fell asleep in the lap of something seductive, a lap of powerlessness. 
a lap that stripped away what God wanted to do in his life. But let me tell you, if you remember the end of the story of Samson, his hair grew back. The hair grows back, folks. And one day you will stand against those pillars and you could bring a great victory to God again. You could bring glory to his name again. Don't ever let the past hold you back. Don't let past failures hold you back. You may say, Pastor, well, uh, I, I guess I'm not very well respected. You can be well respected. Well, Pastor, I'm bruised. I come here on this Mother's Day. I stand on that stage and I'm singing by faith. But I'm bruised. The Bible says that a bruised reed he will not crush. A reed is a stick that's hollow. Little Jewish boys and girls during Bible times would pick up that stick and they would blow into it. And out would come a sound. A song would come out of it. But if the stick broke, they would discard it and they'd go on to another stick, but not Jesus. You may be bruised in this place, whether you're a man or you're a woman or young or old. You may be bruised, but let me tell you, he does not break it. He does not crush it. Instead, he picks you up and he breathes into that reed again. He breathes life again. And out comes a song, and out comes powerful prayers, and out comes his word, and out comes his life that he breathes inside of you again. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, and I'm, he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors and release from darkness for the prisoners. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's more to Isaiah. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Beauty instead of ashes. Beauty. Young man, God can make something beautiful out of your life. Young girl, God can make something beautiful out of your life. Parents, he can make something beautiful out of our homes. The oil of joy. There's that oil that he wants to give us. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise to blow once again into that reed that may seem crushed. But it's not crushed. It may be bruised, but it's not crushed. And he will breathe life again. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. This is what God wants to do through our lives, to restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God wants us to stand in that day. But one day, and Stephen stood there like with the face of an angel, about to be known as the first martyr, about to preach the second longest sermon recorded in the New Testament, but he stood there with the face of an angel. Well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, and it also says he was full of grace. He knew where his help came from. In a moment, we're going to have an altar call. That is an opportunity for you to leave your seat and to move to the front of this church and join a prayer meeting. It's an opportunity for you to come to the front, whether you're in the balcony, it could be the highest part of the balcony, you could be in that corner that's over there or that corner over there or in the front over here very simple altar call. Lord, prepare me. Very simple. 
cry of your heart is, God, prepare me for that day. Like Stephen was prepared. Maybe one of these things is lacking. Maybe we need God make us more of a person of integrity. Maybe we need more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need more of faith, more wisdom. I want to invite you out of your seat this morning and pray. Husbands and wives, come. Husbands, leave your wife. Leave your family here this morning. Leave your children. Don't just come without them. Bring them. When the worship team begins to lead us in worship, and your heart is saying, Lord, prepare me. Prepare me. Come now. Father, we need you. I pray, God, even as I'm praying, that those that you have stirred in their hearts that need to be at this altar, I pray they would leave their seat and come forward. This is not a place of shame. This is not a place of putting our head down. This is a place of receiving from God what we need. Because that day is here and the day is coming. And you're going to give us everything that we need.